0: And they scouted out the land and it says there were giants in the land and they were all afraid. And so they said, we should have went back to Egypt. Let's, let's kill Moses and our leaders and find new leaders and we're going to go back to Egypt. And God didn't like that plan. So he said, nope, but you're going to go back into the desert and wander and wander and wander until you're, you die. And then your kids will come to the promised land. And so that big army of Israelites who wouldn't go, when God said he would be with them, they said, no, never mind, we'll go fight now. And God said, told Moses to say, I won't be with you. And they went anyway, and they got beat pretty bad. And now we're going to jump into Deuteronomy. They'd wandered in the desert for 40 years, and all of the generation who were afraid, they all have passed on. And um, probably most of them went to heaven. Uh, we we can't insert condemnation for no reason at all. and it, it's, It's cool that it says that their sandals never wore out, their clothes never were eaten by moths and wasted away. So they were just preserved miraculously for 40 years in a place where five people could barely live and find water. And here you have a nation of two, maybe three million uh, people. So now Moses is telling all this younger generation, kind of give them a pep talk and there's, think three different places in Deuteronomy where he's preparing them and reminding them and we're going to start in Deuteronomy 1 it says these are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan there's a lot of places in the 40th year on the first day of the 11th month Moses proclaimed to all to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded them concerning them so kids who here has gotten shots before you're about to. Back. Um, and what do you need? What do you ask from your parents? What did you ask me about the shots? Is it going to hurt? No. Well, you asked me that, and I said no. And we talk about it. And you say it's going to be fine. You get superpowers. It it makes it so that you won't get sick. Um, and really, Moses is doing the same thing. And God wants his people to know it's going to be okay. You'll have me. They literally have. St- supernatural powers because God is fighting for them. So it's kind of this talk, you're going to go in, it's not going to be so bad as you think, and you're going to make it. Um, So in chapter 2, he's talking about Israel to the younger generation. Then we turned back and set out toward the wilderness along the route to the Red Sea as the Lord had directed me. For a long time we made our way around the hill country of Seir, Then the Lord said to me, You have made your way around this hill country long enough. Now turn north. And for the next several verses, he talks about going past Edom and Moab. And he said, Don't fight them. Don't give them any reason to fight you. Pay for everything you have. Be nice to them. Because that's Esau's people. And that's Lot's people. Does does anyone remember who Esau was? No. He was a twin and his younger brother was Jacob and he was a big hairy hunter man and they were mad at each other for a long time but then they made up and they forgave each other and they lived together again and so God says I gave Esau that country just like I'm giving you this one and he said the same for Lot and he talks about Esau there used to be a people called the Horites but the descendants of Esau drove them out they destroyed the Horites before them and settled in their place Just as Israel did in the land the Lord gave them as their possession. So we can always hyper-focus on Israel because it's like God's people. But God was doing the same for Esau's people, for Lot's people, for maybe people all around the other side of the world because he does that. He's never been just this myopic, this is just my people and I don't care about anybody else. And it's easy to get caught up in, in just because the Bible is focused on Israel. But he's been doing the same thing he did for Israel For other people, Um, there is a difference, and we'll get to that. So, 38 years passed from the time we left Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the Zered Valley. By then, the entire generation of fighting men had perished from the camp, as the Lord had sworn to them. The Lord's hand was against them until He had completely eliminated them from the camp. And then there's an army that comes out, and this happens a couple times fight Israel but God says this very day I will begin to put terror and fear of you on all the nations under heaven they will hear reports of you and will tremble and be in anguish because of you And there's a some pretty intense descriptions of how they wipe out kingdoms and the Lord told them to wipe out King Sion and his people and they did and as they're doing that they're taking town after town after town and it says they took out man, woman and child and When I read that, I just think, that's so harsh. And we need to remember that God is not just a God of love, but these are nations, these are people that he told Abraham, your people are gonna be slaves for 400 years, because it's not fair that I take them out now. So there were righteous people in these nations, and now, as he's coming through, it it seems like they've all reached the point of pre-flood. It's wickedness and violence and evil all the time. If you're an innocent person there, you're a slave, you're abused, um, you're killed you have no power and so we also can't read condemnation of every man woman and child into these nations that that god is, is giving to israel and allowing them to destroy man woman and child um, from aurora on the rim of the arnon gorge from the town in the gorge even as far as gilead not one town was too strong for us the lord gave god our god gave us all of them So part of the fear that's happening is Israel's fighting, they're taking over a town, and another town, and another town, and all the towns down the line are hearing about this, and refugees, I'm sure, if they do, are any that escape, um, are saying Israel's coming, Israel's coming, Israel's coming, and you get to the point where you get into uh, Joshua and Jericho, and we're told that everybody is terrified of this mysterious desert people that can't lose, that destroyed the army of Egypt. Uh, In chapter three, they take over, and we start to hear now of division of the land, and they give Reuben and Manasseh, the tribes there, land on the east of the Jordan, and this becomes a problem later. But he says, you take this land, but all your fighting men have to come with us, and we're gonna take the land, and then you get your land back. But there's a sad point, and... uh, At that time, I commanded Joshua, you have seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. At that time, I pleaded with the Lord. And before this, uh, Moses had lost his temper. And I hadn't thought about it until someone from church brought it up. I can't remember who it was. But Moses had a temper problem. He saw an Israelite and Egyptian, and the Egyptian was beating the Israelite slave, and he killed the Israelite, and his temper forced him to flee, and his temper kept him out of the Promised Land. So this man who has been putting up with all these people, these just complaining, whining, bitter people. They finally drove him to the edge of his sanity, and they were complaining about water again. So this time he took his staff, and he smashed the rock, and he didn't ask God about it and the water was bitter and God said because of what you've done you can't see the promised land now we have Moses begging God just let me see it I just want to step foot on it I don't even have to live there I'll go back just let me see it and uh, let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan that fine hill country in Lebanon but because of you the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me so he's kind of blaming Israel this was your fault that is enough the Lord said do not speak to me anymore about this matter And it's kind of like when your kids ask you, can I stay up a little longer? And you say no, go brush your teeth, and it's this back and forth. And finally you're like, enough! Or you're in trouble. Be done. We're not talking about this anymore. Do not speak to me anymore about this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and look west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes, since you are not going to cross this Jordan. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. So we stayed in the valley near Beth Peor. So he gets to at least see the promised land, and I am sure his heart would have broken to see how quickly they, they left. As soon as Joshua died, we get into the time of Judges, and it's just a wild mess. Um, and it's a better thing to know that he got to see the real promised land, the true one, and it's always interesting to me that he was on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. It was Moses and Elijah. So that he did get to actually set foot in the promised land in a glorified body. It's kind of a strange thing, but he did. Um, Deuteronomy 4. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are taking, entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? And so it was always meant to be this shining city on a hill that all the nations are going to look at and say, this is different. They treat each other like we want to treat each other, They inspire us, they've called us to the temple. You can become a Jew. um, and The Lord talks about the Egyptians among them and he says, treat them like a brother and remember that you were foreigners in Egypt. Um, To become better at obeying God, you need warning, reminders, and perspective. And that's something just to think about real quick right now. What parts of your life are set up to constantly remind you about God to warn you of disobedience, and to give you good and thankful and grateful perspective. Because one of the ways you can be happiest is to live gratefully. And oftentimes we just live thinking about what we don't have or what we want, and you know, lose some pictures on So what in your lifestyle gives you reminders? What gives you warnings? And what gives you perspective? Meeting together regularly, consistently, and not having it as an option, and it's cool that like even this many people got together in this crazy time. But just being around Christians is one of the surest ways to just instill what you have to have in order to maintain obedience with God. And he says, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. And that's just what happens as humans. We've all been there. We all know what it felt like to be saved, to be baptized in that excitement and that rush. And if you don't have these reminders, they will fade quickly from your hearts. Um, and these people had seen God part the waters and they'd complain a month later. And how quickly do we get to the point where we're not relying on God, we're just whining and complaining about life. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. And over and over throughout Leviticus, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, teach your children, teach your children, teach your children. And we live in a time where the government wants to teach our children some weird stuff. Um, Other people are really critical of how other people parent and it's just kind of this Is this even okay to do? And we have to almost worry about how we parent. That's not biblical. We should be treating and teaching our children as God requires, not anything, anything, government, other people, whatever it is. Um, But to feel that intense responsibility, even if you don't have children, to be a Christian example, to point to God, to let kids see you at church and think, I want to be like that guy or I want to be like that woman. Idolatry forbidden. You saw no form of any kind the, the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman, or like any animal, or on earth or any bird that flies in the air, or any creature that moves along the ground, or any fish in the waters below. He really covers absolutely everything because he knows they're gonna. There's a fish god. There's a sun god. There's a a frog god, and they came out of Egypt where they had idols for everything you could even think of. So he has to be this specific, and the air, and the sea, and the ground, and then and when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array. So he covered the earth, now he's covering space. Do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping the things the Lord your God has appointed through all the nations under heaven. But as for you... The Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of His inheritance, as you are now. And it's that reality that God is more interested in making us holy than He is in making us happy. He deliberately put His people for 400 years in an iron smelting furnace and slavery, because it wasn't fair that they just took the land from the people that they were about, to, that they're they're coming up on now. The Lord oh, oh yeah. The Lord was angry with me because of you and he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter into the good land the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance. I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan. But you are about to cross over and take possession of that good land. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make yourself an idol from any form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. And here's a pretty famous line for the Lord your God is a consuming fire a jealous God and we usually think of the term jealous as sinful uh, or jealousy as a bad emotion but I don't think it is if God has it it must be pure it must be good because he's the lover of our souls and we as a husband I'm going to be jealous as a wife you should be jealous of, of of your husband's time or your wife's time of of conversation maybe if, especially if you start to get too intimate with someone who's not in your marriage there's just that feeling that that can rise up and that's a good feeling um, we have a God who is jealous for us and we're wrapping it up here and I want to finish just with God saying has any God ever loved a people like this and We talked about how God is working throughout all the world and not just with Israel, but there is something special that he has done with Israel. Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds, like all the things your Lord God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. From heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth, he showed you his great fire and his words from out of the fire. Because he loved your ancestors, and this is the first time God says he loved anybody in the entire Bible. It took five books. It took thousands of years. And now we hear from Moses that God loved their ancestors and chose their descendants after them. He brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you, and to bring you into their land to give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. And that's a good verse for a fridge or a door. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. And so that's the first pump-up speech that Moses gives Israel. And there's going to be two more. And he's got warning. He's got encouragement. he's, He's got perspective. Just don't let these things fade from your heart. And we can have that constant prayer as well. Those, those things that we know to be true, it's not neutral. The enemy's always trying to pull them from your mind, from before your eyes, to make them fade from your heart. We, in our body of sin, also wants to remove these good things because they don't let us get what we want right when we want it. So kind of three things to think about. When it's time to move, to take action according to God's promise, will you go? When you know there's something you need to do, Will you do it or will you be like the original, the older generation and say it's too much, it's too hard, there's no way we can do this. And some of these promises that we're meant to do and told to do or to, to obey are uh, hospitality, repentance, forgiveness, evangelism, making disciples. Maybe there's somebody that you've lied to and they don't even know it and you know you should confess to them and say you're sorry. Maybe there's somebody that's hurt you and, and you know you need to... to to address it and have a little conflict in your life, even though it's the last thing that you want. There's so many things that are going to come up that you know God wants you to do, and you can hover right on the edge just like Israel did and get pushed back and fail, and then you get another chance. And God is the God of second and third and 100 chances, so you never have to feel like, I've just failed, I'm done with that part, I'm just not good at that. You can keep trying, and, and we have a God that as we go through the bible lets his people keep trying and lets them fail and he still loves them and this was the ancestors he said he loved were the ones that just constantly complained about him and frustrated him he even threatened to wipe them all out and yet he says that i have loved do i live in a way that i am constantly reminded to obey and keep god in perspective is your lifestyle do you have to stop it in order to find god Or is God built into it? Do you think about him? Do you listen to a book on the way uh, to work? Uh, Do you have a morning ritual where you open the Bible? Or do you pray wherever you are just as you're looking out on a beautiful sight? Thank you, God, for today. Have you instilled reminders and ability to find perspective in your life? And lastly, will I seek out my idols, destroy them, obey God, and pass on? what is good. And we all have idols. And it's the constant theme as we get into the kings. The, the, really the only thing that makes a good king a good king is he breaks stuff. He destroys the idols and on the high places and they even got into the temple at one point. That's what made a good king. He destroys idols. And so are there idols in your life? Yes. Every one of us have them. Find them. Destroy them. Take them down from those places that Really, we go to them for comfort before we go to God. That's really what an idol is, something that you'd rather have than going to God. And then we pass on why he is so good. And, and really, that's what Israel was all about. I'm going to make a nation to show that I am good in the world, that there is one God, that I am true, that I'm real, that you don't need to make an image of me. You don't even carve a rock for God. He said, I made rocks the way I want them. If you're going to make an altar just stack them on each other um, so we're gonna take a break from going through the Bible for the next four weeks and we'll see how uh, church looks we're gonna talk to the senior center and, and uh, see what they say it's after, next Sunday it'll have been two weeks removed and that's the incubation period or the you can be a holder for the the virus um, but also there's nobody in there and it doesn't stay on the floor or anything like that it's not like floating around in the air for two weeks so we're going to try to meet next sunday if you know lord willing if not we'll figure something out and and let everybody know but uh let's pray father we thank you for this day um as we leave here and, and as we're done with this time of getting into your word um, help us to take communion in private just with between you and, and, and each one of us uh, we just need bread and, and something to drink Lord, um, we thank you for your body that was broken for us your blood that was shed for us uh, we pray for our country right now for the world, and I've just been sh- so shocked at how it's grinded the entire world to a halt and I think about revelations and and, and the, the plagues that will happen there and if this small thing that, that kills such a small percentage can stop the, the entire world economy, then what will a real devastating thing look like? And We just are in awe and fear of of who you are and what you're doing and help us to, uh, to lift others up in this hard time and to have it be something that unites us. In your name, amen. Okay, so you brought lunch. Don't share it with anybody. Um, give elbow pounds. Or-